What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to Patreon.com slash BP Show. Patreon.com slash BP Show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Less than 20, just about 24 hours ago, gun violence hits the United States Congress and ricochets around the nation. Hello, everybody. It is this Thursday, June 15. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us with a very, very, another very, very busy news day. Uh, Cascading, it seems, is never a slow day anymore. Uh, And yesterday's news is just the kind of news that we don't want to have to deal with. Thank you for joining us today. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, The big news, of course, continuing news, uh, Congressman Steve Scalise in critical condition, very serious condition, uh, not stable, as was originally reported uh, at the Washington uh, MedStar Hospital here. Uh, The other victims of yesterday's shooting, uh, most, I think all of them by now, have been uh, released, thank God. Uh, No fatalities, but it was a very scary situation at the baseball practice there in Alexandria for the Republican members of Congress. And we'll talk talk today about congressional reaction, presidential reaction, and your reaction. Also, news that Robert Mueller has stepped up his investigation and now is looking definitely into possible obstruction of justice by President Donald Trump. You want to talk about that? Damn right. So send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, and we'll jump right into it with the latest. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, dum-dums, this is not a smart idea. We go to Southern California because great white sharks have been sighted more and more. People are seeing them more and more off of the coast of Southern California. And so now Marine officials came out yesterday Marine Safety Chief came out and said that they have found that the media is actually chumming the waters. They're going out and dropping fish into the water because they're not happy with just the naturally occurring great white sightings. Uh, They want to, yeah. They want to get bigger and better and closer footage. So they are baiting the waters off the coast of California so that they could get better footage of great white sharks. Folks. Uh, no. This do is, not do this. this is There's really... a metaphor here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't quite trace it. It's a little on the nose, don't you think? 
Jesus. Yeah, so good and grief. so the first one of those people that gets chewed up by a white shark serves them right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just... Just stop doing that. Again, the Long Beach lifeguard officials came out and said that they have evidence that the media has been doing this. So just don't do this. Please don't do this. The end of an era. Fox News has been in disarray since they lost uh, Roger Ailes and then Bill Shine and Bill O'Reilly. And lots of people have been dropping uh, or being fired or pushed out the door, however you want to look at it. But one thing that's also going out the door, their marketing slogan, fair and balanced. They are dropping it. They are dropping it. It will be no more. Now, Fox says that they made this well, decision. Uh, uh, it was bullshit in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was absolute bullshit in the beginning. Right. They say that this decision was made almost a year ago uh, in August of last year. They said that the phrase had been mocked too much and it was too easy for people to make fun of it. So they were just getting rid of it. And so now management has instructed their marketing team to use another tagline. Most watched. Most trusted. How about um, we report you decide? <laughs> I think that's still there. They're still using that. Do they? Oh. Yeah, but the fair and balanced <laughs> is gone. There's the- only one man that uh, could earn that title, and that's the one and only Shep Smith. Shep Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Shep yeah. Smith, I trust. I trust with my kids. I trust with my life. I trust Shep Smith. Anybody else there, forget it. Most watched, most trusted. <laughs> After Rachel Maddow, I guess. <laughs> Is she still like, ahead in the ratings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. She's still number one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Right. No, Rachel's in the role. On your radio, on TV. And online, this is the Bill Press Show. As of now, the game will still go on. Hello, everybody. We're talking, of course, about the congressional baseball game. Um, After Congress stunned yesterday by uh, an attack on Republican members of Congress, a gun attack, gun violence aimed against Republican members of Congress, of course, who were practicing for tonight's scheduled congressional baseball game at Nat Stadium here in Washington. Uh, gunmen, as we know, targeting those members of Congress, uh, sh- wounding serious f- four, five of them, one Congressman Steve Scalise of Louisiana, very seriously. It is the Bill Press Show on this Thursday, June 15. All of this came down just about 24 hours ago exactly. It was, uh, the one Congressman said it was 7.02 a.m., uh, he checked his watch when he got back in his car. He was leaving practice early to get back to the Capitol, and that's the time he got in his car after talking uh, to the gunman, so we know what time it came down after that. Uh, the the whole uh, violence ensued over at this ballpark in Alexandria, Virginia, just about 10 miles down the, uh, uh, if that, down the parkway from across the river from Washington, D.C., we are coming to you live from our nation's capital, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, which is an armed fortress any time of day. But these uh, members, of course, were away from the Capitol. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV. We're with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And we're also joining you on WCPT out in Chicago. Indeed, yep. good to have you with us. 
Right. So uh, let's start with the facts yesterday. As we said, it came down about seven, uh, about 7.05 yesterday morning. Uh, a lone gunman opened fire. Republicans were f- winding up, finishing up their, uh, their practice. It was their last practice, batting practice, before uh, tonight's game. Uh, the Democrats uh, practice at a different field here in southeast Washington. Republicans practice, many of them, I think, live in that area, uh, at this field in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, uh, they were winding up the last couple of batters there, either in the batting box or at the plate, when shots uh, uh, were, were fired. Uh, and uh, S- Steve Scalise, who was playing second base, he, he's sort of the heart and soul of this game. He's been, he's been a part of this game for years and, in fact, uh, used to give out baseball bats, you know, to, to people come into his office. Uh, he was so proud of his, his role on that team. Uh, he was playing second base. He was struck in the hip, uh, and uh, Senator Rand Paul describes the scene from there. So he goes down, but is moving and is crawling towards the outfield. Um, there was uh, two staff members on this other side of this 10-foot fence, and I'm behind a tree now right next to the uh, batting cage, and I'm seeing shots skipping off of the uh, warning track right around these two. Holy crap. It was frightening. Uh, so the shooter with a... Um the Chinese AK-47, I'm not, uh, it was an assault rifle, uh, SKS, it's called the Chinese version, uh, the police were saying, of the AK-47, also had a 9 millimeter pistol. He's firing from behind the fence just wildly, and the, some of the members of Congress said you could, they were stunned at how far, how far away he was, but how, uh, how far he could reach with this AK-47. Of course, the bullets whizzing by them. Um, uh, Senator uh, Jeff Flake from Arizona uh, had the presence to get Steve's phone, and he, he, he tells calling his wife. I uh, got uh, Steve Scalise's phone and called his wife, and uh, I just didn't want her to to uh, wake up and hear um, the news and not know what was going on. And I'm sure you saw, as we did, many interviews with uh, members who were there and uh, and, you know, some of them ran into the dugout and realized there were sitting ducks in the dugout. Rand Paul was talking about hiding behind a tree. Yeah, others were hiding behind a little utility shed. Um, a couple of congressmen mentioned they got through the fence and, and then hid behind a car. And when the gunman started moving from third, he was at the th- on the third base um, behind a, 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 the, a, a dugout or building on the third base side. At any rate, firing from there behind the dugout. Uh, and then he started moving down toward home plate. As he started to move, these members of Congress ran up into the neighborhood, and one guy opened his door and let them into his house. So they were able to take a phone, get a phone and call 911. It was pandemonium there, as you can imagine. Um, and in in the end, uh, Steve Scalise, um, very, in very serious condition uh, at Washington MedStar Hospital today with that uh, bullet through his hip that uh, messed up his internal organs as well. He's undergone surgery uh, and uh, will require more, more surgery, doctors say. Um, a s- young a staff member, Zach um, hmm, Bradford, something like that, I'm sorry, um, was, uh, was injured in the leg. Uh, a lobbyist, former congressional staff member, Matt Mika, was also injured. And then two Capitol Police officers, uh, who were hit and wounded, uh, they are the heroes of the day. These were two police officers who were there 
only because they were not there to protect all the congressmen. They were the detail for Steve Scalise because he is the House whip. So therefore, he does have security wherever he goes. The rest of them don't. If they were not there, as everybody said, it would have been a massacre because there was no protection from this guy. Nobody, of course, uh, nobody else had a gun. Nobody else. There were no other police officers around. Uh, and these officers who only had their service pistols rushed this guy with an assault rifle uh, and brought him down. And they were wounded in the line of duty, kept firing, and were able to uh, to bring him down. Those two officers suff- suffering uh, minor wounds. I think the one female officer was uh, hit in the, in the, in the ankle. Um, uh, but they were the, they, again, they were the heroes of the day. Uh, the shooter was a man by the name of James Hodgkinson from Belleville, Illinois, you've probably seen, uh, who had been living in the uh, Alexandria, actually living right on the street in his van. So it was, it was a, a bizarre kind of coincidence that brought this guy to this street in Alexandria, living out of his cargo van since late March, which happened to be right down the street from the YMCA where he hung out and right down the street from this ball field where he had been seen hanging around too. Uh, One congressman here, Ron DeSantis from Florida, uh, actually talked to this guy yesterday morning. There was an individual, uh, middle-aged Caucasian male, um, that asked us, you know, hey, you know, that's, is that Republicans, Democrats, you know, what, if we're like Republicans, and then he kind of turned and went towards the field. Uh, and so once he, there was no doubt uh, that he was um, tar- targeting Republicans. We now know from his social media account uh, that he was a lefty. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter and hated Republicans and felt that uh, whatever, uh, that uh, once he found out they were there, uh, this was he. He took this in, this horrific uh, action, uh, and um, Bernie Sanders, of course, yesterday denouncing anything to do with this guy on the floor of the of the Senate. The alleged shooter at the Republican baseball practice this morning is someone who apparently volunteered on my presidential campaign. I am sickened. By this despicable act. And of course, Bernie says violence, never the answer, no matter who it is. Real change can only come about through nonviolent action, and anything else runs counter to our most deeply held American values. Yesterday, we saw. I just want to point out for a second there were a couple of instances of violence. <clears throat> during the primary, uh, primarily from Donald Trump supporters. Yeah. And there was an outcry from egged, people who were egged, saying— Egged on by Donald Trump. Exactly. There, the was, there was an outcry from people saying, you need to denounce this, you need yeah. to shut this yeah. down. Right. It even still continues with some of the anti-Semitism that we mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. defacing mm-hmm. of Jewish cemeteries and synagogues and mosques. And this whole time, all people really wanted from Donald Trump, they weren't necessarily— blaming Donald right. Trump explicitly right. for it. But yeah. all people were saying were, you need to denounce this, you need to come right. out, and you need to shut this down, and you need to send right. this message to people right. who support you that this is not okay. Bernie Sanders just put on a clinic and how you do that. Right, exactly. Right? That's full stop, shut it down. I have no room in my 
yeah. politics and my party and how I do politics for someone like this to uh, use my name for something uh, as evil as this. I Amen. mean, Bernie shut it right down. Amen. Excellent point. He did. And we remember everybody was saying Donald Trump just even a lot of Republicans were saying. Donald Trump has just got to tell these people, this is not right. This is unacceptable. He never did. In fact, he said, remember, I wish I were out there. I could punch him out, right? Uh, and uh, Encouraging, egging on that kind of violence. So we saw yesterday, in response to the shooting, as word got around, um, we saw the proper response, and I want to give them credit for it, and we saw the absolute worst possible response. So let's start with the positive. There's a man, you know, that I'm not, <laughs> I don't give credit to very often. Uh, I don't consider him a strong leader at all, but he did rise to the occasion yesterday. Here is Speaker Paul Ryan. We are united. We are united in our shock. We are united in our anguish. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. And Ryan said there is one moment of all the images of yesterday that he will never forget. There are so many memories from this day that we will want to forget. And there are so many images that we will not want to see again. But there is one image in particular that this House should keep. And that is a photo I saw this morning of our Democratic colleagues gathered in prayer this morning after hearing the news. Indeed. Uh, Paul Ryan, Nancy Pelosi also spoke yesterday saying we're going to play this game Thursday night and uh, be together. We'll go out on the field. We'll root for our team. We want everyone to do his or her very best. And we will use this occasion as one that brings us together and not separates us further. And it was Donald Trump at the White House who also struck the white tone. He, it was uh, Trump who announced that the uh, the shooter had actually died of his injuries. And then uh, the president praising the heroic efforts of the two uh, Capitol Police, again, who just happened to be there because they're the duty protecting uh, Congressman Steve Scalise. Many lives would have been lost if not for the heroic actions of the two Capitol Police officers who took down the gunman despite sustaining gunshot wounds during a very, very brutal assault so that on those part on the part of those and others really uh was the uh appropriate the correct the dignified response to what happened yesterday uh contrast that with the idiots who feel that this is an opportunity to take a cheap political shot uh led by probably the cheapest political shooter of all i hate to use that word i'm sorry the cheapest political trickster, if you will, of all, uh, Newt Gingrich, yes, who can't resist. Oh, this is this is what Democrats do. It's part of a pattern. As you saw the one sign this guy was holding, you've had a, a, an increasing intensity of hostility on the left. Uh, I, look, I talk to college students regularly who, t who say to me, if they openly are for Trump, they get threatened. Yeah. Hostility on the left. That's what it is. It's all this. People were saying this incendiary political rhetoric on the left. Uh, Greg Gutfield on he's on the five right on on Fox yeah. yesterday. This is what socialists do. 
Socialism has always advocated revolution. Ra radical leftism has always advocated violent revolution. Yeah, that's Bernie uh, Sanders, so violent revolution. This guy was essentially guy radicalized by the left-wing media. He was radicalized. He was troubled. He was a violent, disgusting human being. But he digested, ingested this information. Okay. You know, you know what? Let me tell you, I, I, I want to be careful here, right? Because I cannot say the words on radio or television that I would like to say in response to that. I mean, this idea, first of all, just the idea that you would, you would use this occasion for a cheap political stunt like that is disgusting. It's really abhorrent. The other thing is, it's freaking dead wrong. There is a lot of, there is too much incendiary rhetoric out there today. In, uh, I would totally agree. But let me tell you something. It ain't coming from the left, right? It is not, uh, it, was not a Bernie, it was not Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or even Hillary Clinton, you know, who called Barack Obama sick, a bad guy, a sick guy, right? It wasn't any Democrat who called James Comey a nut job or called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman, right? It's not any Democrat who called reporters, media, journalists just doing their job, the enemy of the American people. Yeah, we know who the number one firecracker, if you will, of incendiary rhetoric is coming from. It's coming right from the White House. It's coming from the president of the United States, as, as it came from candidate Donald Trump, who insulted every one of the Republicans running against him in the, in the most vile, vicious terms. You know, it wasn't leftist agitators who killed John F. Kennedy or Bobby Kennedy or Martin Luther King or the Charleston Nine. It wasn't leftist agitators who killed the abortion doctors who were just uh, practicing you know, their medical profession as, as allowed uh, and as endorsed by the Supreme Court. I mean, you go on and on. It wasn't leftist who sent a guy to the Comet Pizza Shop here in Washington, D.C., uh, to shoot up the pizza shop. This idea of this, where is this hostility on the left? Where is this wave of leftist hostility? It doesn't exist. Twitter is still undefeated in making people eat their own words. Uh, they're sort of a compilation of some of the nastier comments that were made by Republicans. Uh, Carl Paladino, Trump's campaign chief in New York, uh, this was the end of last year, calls for Obama's death from mad cow disease. There was also the Georgia senator who prayed for Obama's death at a Christian gathering last year. Donald Trump suggested that the Second Amendment people could act against Hillary Clinton. Remember that? During oh, the, yeah. Right. Uh, during yeah. The let, let me break in there while you're, while you're on that subject. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? There, it's like that. incredible. Yeah. And I think one of the most damning things, this is from, uh, from almost exactly a year ago, Rand Paul on Twitter. Why do we have a Second Amendment? It's not to shoot deer. It's to shoot at the government when it becomes tyrannical. Well, you would think, you would hope that maybe he thought twice about that after yesterday when he was in the line of fire. Uh, and if it weren't for those police officers, Rand Paul might not be here today. Chris Collins, uh, I think we should start giving out an award for the biggest idiot in the United States Congress, which would be tough, a tough test. But uh, I, I got to hands down for several things he's done lately, but particularly yesterday, Chris Collins, Republican from up in uh, Buffalo, New York, said, quote, 
I can only hope that the Democrats do tone down the rhetoric. I mean, how can he say that with a straight face, right, after the rhetoric that we've seen coming from the White House? So there are two things wrong with this whole attempt now to say this is just the latest example. I've heard it this morning. The latest example of leftist, left, what they're calling leftist terrorism. There is no leftist terrorism. And I'm not blaming it on the right wingers either. All I'm just saying is don't try to con us into thinking that the incendiary political rhetoric today is coming from the left. There's another thing wrong with that whole approach. It begs the question. It beg- Here is the question. Right? Why would anybody, I don't care whether they're Democrat or Republican or Socialist or Independent or Marxist or Green Party or whatever, why would anybody be able to walk up to a baseball field with an AK-47 and a 9mm loaded gun? and be able to mow down anybody, any citizens at all, and much less members of the United States Congress. That's what we ought to be talking about. That's what we have to talk about. Yeah, we're shocked because a Republican member of Congress was, was shot. I'm shocked because three work, people who work for UPS in San Francisco yesterday were shot and killed by a crazed gunman. I'm shocked because I know, without even looking at the facts, I know there were kids killed in the streets of Chicago last night. And you know what? Dare I say it? Every one of those lives, every one of those three people who were killed in San Francisco yesterday, their life is every damn bit as important as the life of Steve Scalise, Republican member of Congress. I mean, so let's just keep this in context, right? This was another mass murder. Okay. Uh, I took a look uh, last night at um, recent mass murders. Remember them, right? Um, Let's start with uh, Virginia Tech, right? 2007. 32 people. Sandy Hook, 2012. 27 people. 2012 also. Aurora, Colorado, 27 people, 25 of them, first graders. Aurora, Colorado, 12 people, 2012. Mother Emanuel, down in Charleston, South Carolina, nine people killed, 2015. The Pulse Nightclub, last year in, um, uh, also in 2015, San Bernardino, remember at Christmas time, 14 yeah. killed. And the Pulse Nightclub, last year, 49 killed. Everyone, there was something like 348, I don't have the exact number in front of me last year, of mass murders, meaning... Four or more people killed or wounded uh, in this country. And, of course, this isn't the first member of Congress who's been shot. Gabby Giffords, six years ago, just appearing outside of a Safeway uh, in Arizona in her district just to meet with her constituents and talk about the issues of the day. And here is the sad truth, my friends. You know it as well as I. Congress did absolutely nothing When Gabby Giffords was shot, Congress will do absolutely nothing with Steve Scalise shot. And and that 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 to me is the is the ultimate tragedy. Uh, And instead, these people would rather ignore that whole issue and and go off and talk about and and blame Bernie Sanders or Bernie Sanders supporters or people on the left for for what's happening. It's not worth it to them. No. 
It's not worth it to lose that money from the gun lobby. It's not worth it to lose their ratings from the NRA. It's not worth it. That I mean, you really want to look at what's important to them. That's what's yeah. important. No, it, it is it is really, really disgusting. And again, begs the whole question, why should that guy have had those guns in the first place? He was, we know, he had a license to have them. And the only thing that we know that he ever done is he went out in back of his house one time and was just firing rounds of the AK-47 off. I mean, what is that all about? It's insane, insane that we allow these weapons uh, in the streets of America. We'll talk more about that throughout the morning and get again, get your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Pardon me. And I know I read this morning that they, even Democrats are saying, well, now's not the time to talk about guns. Yes, it is. If not now, when? One other important bit of news, though, we have to mention as well. We have talked about this. Um, we have told you we thought this is that this is what was happening. We have the official word now, as reported by the Washington Post today. Uh, this is another bit, today's breaking news, if you will, that Robert Mueller has begun investigating, in fact, has begun investigating whether Donald Trump obstructed justice by trying to shut down the FBI investigation. So as we told you, it looked like it was, hap was happening. This whole investigation has now shifted from, it's st this is still an issue, did the Trump campaign assist the Russians, collude with the Russians to influence the outcome of the 2016 election? That is still there, but the main focus now has shifted to, did Donald Trump try to obstruct justice? By shutting down the investigation, they have scheduled interviews with the director of national intelligence, Daniel Coates, uh, Robert Mueller has, and his people, with the uh, head of the NSA, uh, Mike Rogers, and also with the deputy head of the NSA, who is um, Deputy Richard Leggett. Uh, and uh, Mueller is going to be meeting with each one, each one of those. Uh, so this is this is this is another step. Another very bit of bad news for Donald Trump. And listen, man, this is all because he tried to kill an investigation which maybe would have turned something up, maybe not, right? The Russia... The, could have exonerated The him. Russia stuff. Total could have exonerated Who knows him. whether or not right. he's actually involved in that collusion or not. They it, haven't made that connection you know what? yet. A Co lot of people around him have. No. Comey could have ended up saying what he did about Hillary. Sure. This was kind of, they should not even have been talking to these guys, but there's no evidence that they did anything wrong. Yeah. It was sloppy, it was careless, but they did nothing wrong. Done. But because he's so stupid yeah. and so controlling, this is what he got himself into. It is the most colossal self-own right. that we've seen in American yeah. politics. Tried to shut it down, and they fired Comey when Comey wouldn't shut it down. So apparently... Uh, uh, Trump did talk to Daniel Coates, and remember, remember, they refused to answer questions about this in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. But reportedly, again, Washington Post this morning, and I want to point out again, the Washington Post has not been wrong yet about any of this stuff they've reported. Neither has the New York Times. By reporting this morning, that reportedly uh, Daniel Co uh, Trump had talked to Daniel Coates and to Mike Rogers and to this Richard Legend and asked each of them. To call Comey, put pressure on Comey to shut down the investigation. That is now the focus of Robert Mueller's investigation. So, yes, 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 Sean Spicer. Yes, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yes, Mike Pence, the President of the United States, is 
under investigation. He is the subject of the investigation. He may not have been before, but he is today. Graham Weiss from the New Republic, uh, our good friend, joins us here to continue our discussion about the uh, news of the day on many fronts. We'll be right back. Uh, look, I talk to college students regularly who, t- who say to me, if they openly are for Trump, they get threatened. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, all right. The Bill Press Show indeed uh, on a Thursday, Thursday, June 15. Washington, D.C. is where we start, right alongside of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, is where we end up uh, on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show and Free Speech TV and WCPT out in Chicago. Brought to you today, thanks to the good work of the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. Uh, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. We salute them. Thank them for their support. Welcome to the studio, our good friend Graham Vice, staff reporter for New Republic. Hello, Graham. Nice to see nice you. Nice to see you, too. Well, can I, can uh, I just want to throw in one quick little note, because I just saw this come across one final uh, point on the Steve Scalise uh, uh, shooting. Yes. Uh, the White House last night, uh, according to Sean Spicer, says Trump entered Steve Scalise's hospital room and sat by the gravely injured congressman's bedside with Melania. That is from Sean Spicer. About 30 minutes later, another White House official said President Trump did not meet with Steve Scalise and did not go into the room where Scalise is being treated. So the White House isn't quite sure what the president is up to. Hmm. Uh, they can't even get that straight. Can't even get that story right. He did, uh, which I thought was a great gesture, he did go to the hospital um, last evening to visit with uh, Steve Scalise. Uh, so after that, the details, I guess, are um, a little foggy. Little and uh, uh, I know I also read that, um, that the pool report last night, I was trying to follow this because yeah. uh, I knew he was headed there from the pool reports that uh, they said that the president and Melania walked in carrying white flowers, and then there was an, a, a correction that came out that the staff members were carrying the white flowers and not the... So anyhow, Weird. they... Yeah. I mean, little things like that you'd yeah. think that they could get together on, right? Yeah. Anyhow. You'd think. So uh, there was some good news up in New Jersey yesterday. Uh, um, Graham, I saw that uh, Chris Christie's approval rating is now at 15%. You know, I was, I was, I, I was struck by that. 15%, yeah. yes. You know, and, 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 uh, and Kim, Kim Guadano, who's, the, who's his uh, for, uh, former lieutenant governor there. who's the Still Repub- lieutenant governor. Oh, yeah. Still, okay, still lieutenant yeah, governor. But now she's the Republican the nominee. nominee. I mean, she's saddled with that, the fact that she was in, you know, involved in the administration, the whole you know, saga of Bridgegate and all of that, which, I mean, I, it just, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for her to, uh, to escape the shadow of, of Chris Christie in this general are you, election. Are you kidding? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> So he can always say to Donald Trump, hey, Donald, it could be worse. That's right. Exactly. Or, but I mean, 15. There is that. It's 15? Is that yeah. 15. Yeah. 15. Oh, oh, my God. Or, or, Good grief. Donald, can you give me some advice on how I can get my approval rating up? That's right. right. Trump's got double 
more, a little more than th- and, at thirty six. And just the, 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 the whole the whole thing of how he wanted a job in the administration and kept getting re- uh, denied a job, and it's just, the, I mean, you know, I, I Chris Christie's like the last person we should feel badly for, but it's know. like, you know, you, but, uh, you do, you do kind of have to appreciate how what an awful situation it is for him right just now. Just think of the people that we're talking about that, that Donald Trump may still fire: Robert Mueller, <laughs> or, or Jeff Sessions, or Reince Priebus, or Steve. Bannon, you hear it all. The- so, so you're saying there could be some job There openings. could be a job. <laughs> okay. I'm, my prediction is before the end of the year, yeah. Chris Christie will have a job well, just uh, by the, on the law of averages that's almost. Probably, that's probably smart. Um, it was a big night in Virginia. I know you were down there uh, Tuesday, uh, and it was um, Ralph Latham who, uh, who, who wins the day for the Democrats. Here he is uh, with his supporters borrowing a phrase from Barack Obama. Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to win in November? November. <laughs> November. Yeah. Doesn't quite have the oomph that Barack Obama had. No. But, but yeah, who does? Right. <laughs> no. yeah, it's fair. Exactly. That's fair. Uh, unfair standard. So meanwhile, you were hanging out with Tom Perry. Ellen. I was. And, uh, and you know, his loss, I think, was a, a disappointment for, uh, you know, sort of the, the sort of... Uh, progressive activist uh, movement across the country. You know, uh, Northam um, made what perhaps was a a good strategic decision, which is he focused primarily on uh, sort of local Virginia issues. He branded himself as as a sort of um, the candidate who was most in touch with uh, with the state concerns. He certainly did, in response to Perriello, um, having a really sharp critique of Donald Trump, Northam sort of uh, changed his rhetoric and became more forceful. Uh, He's a a doctor, so he, he, uh, he famously sort of diagnosed Trump as being a narcissistic maniac and put him in one of his ads. But a yeah, lot of people yeah. think that that was, you know, that kind of rhetoric from Northam was uh, was a response to the fact that Periella really ch- changed the conversation in that race and made it more of a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of nationalized uh, anti-Trump uh, campaign. It was a mini version of Hillary versus Bernie, wasn't it? The well, primary. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, I, I think okay. Periello... The, the, Periello I, did pull Northam to the left. He, he, he did certainly rhetorically. And he actually... In terms of um, policies too, like he was out there on uh, fifteen dollar minimum wage and some other, um, you know, uh, I think I think uh, um, uh, higher education policies and sort of Northam uh, adopted them or or, or sort of uh, came out for them after Periello had um, and and yeah, I think I think that the actually the the kind of pushing back on the uh, comparisons to Hillary and Bernie has almost become like a, a sort of a meme in the media yeah, where yeah, people are yeah, saying know, you know, there's but, people journalists like to say. It actually isn't like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the uh, Hillary Bernie. Right. But, I mean, and and to, uh, just to be accurate, I mean, Periello. It was interesting. He had a lot of uh, former Obama staffers behind him. He yep. had uh, his his campaign team was a kind of combination of Hillary and Bernie people. So certainly, Periello did have Warren and Bernie behind him. But right. uh, but it, it was a little more complicated than just the sort of Bernie and uh, yeah. I, I, that's why I said a mini version. Yes, and sure. also. The establishment clearly lined up early on behind Northam. Yes, uh, particularly in Virginia. So I mean, it, yeah, his 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 line right. was, uh, if we're going to talk about the, who's the establishment candidate, Northam said, "I'm the Virginia establishment candidate. He's the Washington or the national establishment." Uh, and there yeah. was some truth to that in the sense uh, that uh, yeah. it was, you know, um, a lot of kind of national uh, progressives and Democrats were behind Periello, whereas Virginia was 
Westford right. Northam. So if um, whatever her name is in Virginia has, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in New Jersey. Yeah, Kim Guadano. Guadano uh, has Chris Christie uh, around her neck, if right. you will. Ed Gillespie, the Republican nominee, has Donald Trump. Right. Well, I mean, I think they, they both do now, right? All, yeah. all Republicans oh, right. do. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I think, I think uh, although uh, you'd perhaps say that, uh, that uh, Guadano is in a sort of a uniquely uh, challenging situation because of, of the Christie situation, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think uh, Northam is the strong favorite to, to win uh, in, the, in Virginia. And, and actually, I mean, um, the fact that uh, there was so the uh, the turnout on the Democratic side in the primary in Virginia was like um, double. Did you say uh, it was one hundred and seventy percent up or something? Yeah, one hundred seventy percent up from the last primary. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. Democrats are 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 excited and are and are energetic uh, in Virginia. And so even though there were there were these divisions between Periello and Northam, the, the sense you you get is that uh, you know the Periello people are, are ready and re- rearing to go to well, it, support him. It, yeah, it became because these are the only two gubernatorial races up this year, but they both became kind of national stories, right? Right. Um, and in the Republican primary, which we may not have, maybe not have paid that much attention to, he had this totally crazy guy, Corey Stewart, mm-hmm. right? And everybody thought just a wacko. Uh, he almost beat Ed Gillespie. And here, Ed Gillespie, talking about an establishment candidate, Ed Gillespie from the RNC, right. former chair of the RNC, head of the Republican convention, mm-hmm. prominent lobbyist here, uh, and not a crazy Republican at all. So really, the establishment, good George W. Bush type Republican, right. who almost beat Mark Warner for mm-hmm. Senate. Everybody thought he was just going to run away with this gubernatorial nomination. He won by one point or less. Jeb Gillespie. Remember, <laughs> it's Jeb Gillespie. Yeah. yeah. With or without an exclamation mark. Right. Maybe it should just uh, be Ed yeah. with an exclamation mark. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, and I think it speaks to how, I mean, and and, and uh, Corey Stewart, you know, uh, was talking, you know, sort of made the uh, the issue of uh, defending Confederate uh, statues as being, as being sort of a focal point. Point of his campaign, what a just, hill to you know, die really, on. really, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, white, white resentment uh, politics, and and it, I mean, it's it's sort of just as a as an American, it's kind of frightening to to, to see where we are with the Republican. So, base. is Gillespie going to be able to distance himself from Donald Trump? And how and on what issues? I mean, I... again, I, I I'll be the first to admit I haven't uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about you know how uh, Ed Gillespie <laughs> is going to do this. I mean, it it seems like um, uh, you know, and Virginia also is an increasingly thought of as as a blue state, or you know, yeah. even less yeah. so as a purple state now. And and they they have they don't have a long history of um, like recent Republican governors. I mean, they're you know Democratic governors, uh, you know, uh, primarily Bob McDonald well, being the being yeah, the, being the uh, exception. Um, so, I, I, again, I think that uh, I think that you'd, you'd certainly uh, think of Northam as the favorite moving forward. Well, don't. It seems to me that this um, Virginia governor's race is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump, in particularly in Northern Virginia. I think that uh, I think that Democrats will certainly see it that way as right. being as being and and this you know that's uh, a lot of uh, these primaries uh, and and uh, and and elections in general are you know this is the first opportunity for Democratic voters to to sort of uh, make their enormous frustration and anger um, felt at the ballot box. I am willing to bet you money yep. that Ed Gillespie will not invite Donald Trump to campaign for him. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, I would be stunned yeah. if he if if he's that well, dumb. 
in part because I mean Trump's approval rating it's not quite in Chris Christie territory but I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's, get, it's getting there I mean it's it's in it's in uh, I saw, saw mid 30s recently you know yeah. I mean it, so um, you know if he and and I think the question becomes for national Republicans if the president dips below 30 percent if we're talking about a 25 percent presidency yeah, yeah. I mean at, at what point do they change their calculus I mean they've hung on for Lord knows for a long time with him we've talked but. about that uh, a lot oh, I, on the Trump thing just so just one sec is that um, living here in Washington DC of course we see all the ads for Virginia yeah, right. because yeah. it's a Virginia media, I right. mean, Washington, part of the Washington yeah. media market. I mean, Perry Yellow's event is, was just over the Washington border in, in, uh, right. in, in Virginia. Is, yeah. Was it? I mean, yeah. I just took the metro out there. So, oh, yeah, so, right. You know. Yeah. So it's almost part of Washington. All I'm saying, so I saw all those North ads and Perry Yellow ads, but the North ads were all, the ones that I saw were all attacking Donald Trump, mm-hmm. attacking Donald Trump. You know, he made, and I think that's in the general, he's going to continue to do that. Not, on that point, I think it really does highlight that for all of the, and we, I mentioned this yesterday, for all the the hell that Democrats are taking for taking such a gigantic loss in the elections at the end of last year, Republicans are way more screwed. I, I think they really, moving forward, where they go as a party is so much less clear. Well, look at what happened. Look at the... The primary. That's is, what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they are so fractured and so splintered. Like, for all the people that said that the, the fight for the Democratic Party is either Hillary voters or Bernie voters, <laughs> at least you're somewhere in the realm, right, right of of being on the same page and moving forward towards progress. The the <laughs> Donald Trump has been a huge blessing for like democratic. Oh unity, my god, you know, huge. And sort of unity on the left and the center left. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right. you said that uh, this is the first opportunity for Democrats really to um, flex their muscle and, and make a difference. Well, there are a few congressional races, too, that right. provide that opportunity, not necessarily in fertile territory. No. I mean, you know, we know what happened in Kansas and we know what happened in Montana. And now we're coming up on Georgia yet yeah. again. I mean, talk about a. Uh, this is, I think, is it will be a big moment. I this mean, is like Groundhog Day. This yeah. Georgia primary. It <laughs> seems know. to have been going on for so damn long, right? And I think particularly after uh, Kansas and Montana, which were obviously disappointments mm-hmm. for for you know John Ossoff, who I uh, have written about several times, is is uh, is the Democratic nominee in the Georgia sixth district and uh, and running against a Repu- Republican uh, named Karen Handel, and he really is the the candidate who who uh, who could be the first the first one to make it over <laughs> make it over the uh, you know uh, over the hill and uh, and actually uh, actually win and 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 there's some polling um, recently that suggests that he is up so you know other again really? it's, it's yeah it's, it's been it's, so close it's close you know, and everybody that I read said after about 18 candidates in the primary or something that 17 of them would be united behind Karen Handel. Or- yeah, which I think is noteworthy that that doesn't, I mean, I think uh, even the more conservative analysts would say the race is a, a toss-up, right? So it's, just, I mean, th- uh, there's been no polling and no analysis that sh- suggests that she's ahead. Uh, so so that's coming up on the 20th. So turnout, turnout is what everyone mm-hmm. says. I haven't seen well. John Ossoff has not invited Bernie into to to uh, to support him. Yeah, right? I mean no. he he's a different kind of 
Not he may be a Bernie Democrat, but I mean he, his it's politics a different, are fairly different. Well, than, the district yeah. is yeah. very different. <laughs> and, and and I I wrote about this in the context of uh, you know sort of the broader choices that Democrats have to make in terms of what kind of candidates they want to run in these sort of swing districts. I mean, this by the way is very interesting. It's a this is a district where um, you know Mitt Romney won comfortably in this mm-hmm. district, but Trump won by just a tiny bit. I mean, yeah. so it is it is you know fertile ground in the sense of the, the in the Trump era, this district you know it seems to be more competitive. Um, But Ossoff, uh, who, you know, to be fair to him, uh, is uh, not running substantively, uh, you know, departing from the Democratic, um, you know, platform or orthodoxy in any major significant way. He's he's made defending Obamacare and and opposing Trump care a centerpiece of his campaign. Uh, You know, he is not uh, sort of a Joe Manchin, uh, Uh you know, more conservative Democrat. However, um, you know, because it is a um, uh, perhaps, you know, because it's it is a historically Republican district. Uh, he's come out and said that he would fight single payer. He's opposed to single payer. Um, he has not uh, offered the kind of uh, proposals on free college and 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 um, mm-hmm. you know other sort of um, uh, sort of pioneering progressive or left wing uh, policies that the Bernie wing uh, has been advancing. Uh, and he uh, you know in he's a, against single payer. Yeah. He came out against that. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. ask for my money back. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, no, he told the New York Times he would fight it. Uh, oh. if, 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 if Definitely. Uh, memory serves. Um, it's tough, right? Because like Democrats, I think, to have a majority, you're going to have to have some Democrats like that, right? right? I, I, it's just an uncomfortable reality. Yeah. But it also just sucks. <laughs> well, I think it's a bad position to and, have. And there's something kind of surreal about um, so, no fewer than three of his television ads are all focused on cutting spending, right? So it's like him looking to camera talking about how both parties in Washington waste too much of your money. And again, I I have to stipulate here, the spending cuts he's talking about are like consolidating wasteful programs. So it's not like he's saying slash the social safety. (laughs) But it speaks to... Cut welfare. Right. It speaks to how he's positioning himself and how he wants voters to think about him, right? The, he wants yeah. them, he doesn't want them to, uh, to think of him as a kind of ideological uh, right. liberal. All right. Well, so this gets to the bigger picture. And I know and, and you had an excellent article about this, um, which is, and Peter, you just sort of alluded to it. Um, <laughs> I get the question all the time. Who's the leader of the Democratic Party? Right. Or which direction does the Democratic Party go in? And can the Democratic Party seize this opportunity, which they clearly have given Trump's unpopularity? Mm -hmm. Or are they just going to splinter, you know, and fight among themselves between, again, the Hillary's and the Hillary people and the Bernie people uh, and make the mistake? Frank Bruni wrote about this in in last Sunday's New York Times, a piece Mm -hmm. about a district up up in Hudson Valley, New York, and, and insists on putting up. Bernie candidates in districts where Bernie candidates ain't going to win. <laughs> right, right. Right. So uh, how do how do they sort all? This? I'm not too worried about this, by the way, but it is it's an important issue. How do they sort all this out? Well, I mean, I, I think that's the million dollar question, right? I mean, I, and and I I think a lot of. Um, a lot of, you know, even in the Ossoff race, I mean, the the and well, I'll I'll address what you said directly okay. in a second. But uh, there, there's this issue of um, a debating whether or not a kind of strong uh, economic populist message can work in almost any district in the country. I mean, there are people who argue that, uh, you know, if you look at the issues that that the sort of uh, Bernie wing of the party has been talking about, that they're broadly popular, and that actually this notion that you have to run in a more uh, centrist or or at least a more 
traditional way is is not based in in data and not based in evidence. So we you know you have to give that perspective its due. I mean I think what's interesting. I belong in that school. Sure, but but at the same time. I want a Democrat to get elected, and if the Democrat happens to be not 1,000%, right? you know, well, I I can accept that. You can accept that. Yeah, but Um, but a lot of lefties or a lot of Bernie people could not, right? You've got to be 1,000% or boom, Yeah, which I think is, you know. Not realistic. But yeah. Go ahead. No. So I think I think I think the you know, the question just becomes uh, you know how do you how do you reconcile those those two uh, you know impulses and I think I think this is an, an emerging uh, an emerging debate and um, and it does it does seem as though I mean it's sort of um, common sense that that there's going to be a localized message in every district and you know there's going to be um, you know there are certainly going to be districts where um, you know those those uh, you know Bernie wing policies would not be popular. Popular. Um, but it's but it's tricky because, you know, there's so, clearly the uh, the energy in the party, you know, the sort of um, enthusiasm uh, is with that uh, sort of uh, Bernie uh, economic populist message. I mean, even even as if you're a uh, sort of a centrist, I mean, you, I think you just have to acknowledge that that's where the energy is. The question is whether or not that's where most voters in the in the base of the party are. You know, I, I listening to you, I was reminded of uh, Lynn Wolsey, who was congresswoman from. Oh, wow. Uh, Marine County. Yeah, she was on our show, yeah, on our show many times. And Jared Huffman is. Uh, this is my district where I live in California, and uh, Carol and I live in California in Inverness. And um, so Jared Huffman now represents that district. But way back, whatever year it was, in the Democratic presidential primary, Lynn supported Dennis Kucinich. <laughs> That's right. And I remember I said to her one day, I said, Lynn, <laughs> what are you doing? All right, that whack. She said, you know what? With my district. Doesn't matter," she said. "I can go as right. far out <laughs> as I want yeah. to the left." Dennis Kucinich, who, who like lately has been uh, kind of defending Trump, and and, and is, yeah. and is this well, some, something he's something got a, a little a little strange going. He's got a paycheck right from now. Fox now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, I remember Lynn saying, and she said, and so of course I know he's not going to win. And after the primary, I'll just support the Democratic woman. <laughs> she says it's not going to hurt me in my. Di-. Right. So there are districts like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. But uh, what I want, Dennis or John. Ossoff to do something crazy like that? No. Right. Right. Oh, so we, you got to get the best candidate for each district. Right. And the best candidate for Marin County, fifth, I think it's the fifth congressional district in California, is not necessarily the best one, for example, for San Diego. Even, right. right. And and I think and certainly not you know, for Georgia. Right. And we should say that, I mean, what's been re- really interesting <laughs> is it's pretty basic. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, notwithstanding the fact that Asaf has, uh, you know, had some um, more uh, centrist or at least, uh, you know, sort of messaging that's non-traditional for Democrats. I mean, it must be said that the the sort of resistance movement across the country, the, the, the Democratic activist base is totally, you know, excited and rooting for this guy. I, yes. mean, I mean, he's yes. he's become right. which is you know, again, there's a certain, uh, you know, uh, strangeness to it that here he is this kind of, um, you know, cautious, uh, uh, very traditional, um, even, you know, uh, again, sort of stylistically moderate candidate. Yeah, he's not a, fi- yet, he's and, not a firebrand and yet everybody, at all. you know, that he's become daily coast was, you know, an early, uh, you know, backer, but really all the groups. I mean, they just, you know, are, are, are rooting for him because, as as we say, there's nothing that's more unifying um, on in left of center politics than the, the notion of fire. Finally, getting someone in there who can who can send a message and say, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna fight the Trump administration. Uh, is there any hope at all for uh, South Carolina? 
You know, uh, I haven't followed that race as as closely. I mean, I think I think uh, Asif is the is the race that um, yeah. that the people are most are most focused on. Right. Um, uh, I think we've given up on uh, South Carolina, but all right. So. so this is totally unrelated and yeah. probably not fair, but I, I just. <laughs> Uh, That's not no. going to stop him anyway. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, this, this, <laughs> yeah, buckle sounds... up. It could go a lot of different no, directions. But I just noticed, isn't this really weird? The Bill Cosby jury yes. goes in for day four. I don't day know what's four. happening. What the hell happening. is going on? Well, I mean, there uh, that, but also just there's been the coverage of this. I mean, yeah. it's been oh, well, buried well, under everything. No, it has been. Yeah, I mean, can you really imagine? Yeah. This, this is uh, a huge, would be a huge well, let's story. Face it, there has been... <laughs> A lot of big news out right, of Washington. Right. Maybe it's right. maybe it's justified. Yeah, um, but anyhow, you would think it would get in the beginning. It yeah. got so much coverage. It's yeah. got almost no coverage. Yeah, and then Joy, day four of deliberations. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, no, I mean, and yeah. Cosby seems upbeat well, about the whole right. thing. It's not. I, it's it, it's not good for her if it's taken if they've taken four days. I yeah, I think the rule is the longer the jury. Um, takes right the less yeah. likely they are to get a conviction. Boy, I thought right. this was a slam dunk. I did too. Yeah, and and you know, and it's such a fascinating story, you know, about sort of how a, a beloved icon has oh, now yeah. has now I been know. Uh, you know seen as sort of you know I think I think uh, in the light of changing norms, that, you know, thankfully about uh, about yeah. you know uh, feminism and, and and sort of uh, how we treat women. Well, I now. still believe that everybody yeah. is innocent until proven guilty, right, except for Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Fair. I just find it so puzzling. Hey, Graham, you do great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming in. Nice to see you both. Kate Martell from The Hill uh, joins us next here on The Bill this Press Show. Stay is around. The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 24 hours ago now, those bullets struck member, one member of Congress and other staffers rained down on a congressional baseball practice in Alexandria, Virginia, and ricocheted around the entire nation. Still reeling from that and uh, trying to move forward here in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, June 15. This is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. We certainly have lots to talk about on many fronts. Uh, yes, the, uh, the c- Congress pulling together yesterday, Republicans and Democrats, uh, in sorrow over this tragedy and also in determination uh, to maybe pull together and try to get along a little better together and tone down the rhetoric and Boy, if we're really lucky, maybe do something about gun violence in this country. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reporting that uh, the shift of the FBI investigation or the big investigation has changed under special counsel Robert Mueller, that the president himself is now the subject of the investigation. And they are starting to interview people 
as to whether or not the president did indeed obstruct justice or attempt to obstruct justice uh, by putting pressure on James Comey. So much to talk about. We'll get into all of it with you and look forward to hearing from you at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. Kate Martell does a great job on the Hill with the Hill, uh, and she's the um, staff writer, chief editor, whatever, of the Hill's <laughs> Same 20, thing. Thir- 1230, 12.30 report, which I got to tell you, Kate, I really, really like. I, I never miss it. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's lively. It's perky, you know, It's uh, and it's got good, solid information in it, so. Uh, and I get to put my dumb puns in there, and I usually don't <laughs> hear about it. <laughs> no, no, but I appreciate that. I like it. So uh, we'll be talking to Kate with all the news of the day. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. How about this in Flint, Michigan? Yesterday, Michigan Attorney General Bill Schwett, I think it's Schwett, uh, he charged five Water officials, including a member of Rick Snyder, the governor's cabinet, and a former emergency manager with manslaughter. This all has to do with their failure to act during the Flint water crisis. Mm. Uh, The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Nick Lyon, former Flint emergency manager Darnell Early, former city of Flint water department manager Howard Croft, Michigan Department of Environmental Quality's drinking water chief Leon Schechter-Smith, and former district supervisor Stephen Bush, will all face involuntary manslaughter charges. Like I said, this all has to do with their failure to act in the Flint water crisis. If they are convicted, it is a felony punishable by up to 15 years in prison and or a $7,500 fine. Wow. Yeah. They mean business in Flint, Michigan. Well, yesterday was so crazy. This happened during the show yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was so much breaking news. Yeah, this was like... A fourth or fifth tier story at the time yesterday. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, the government officials knew what was going on, knew what they were doing, and and they failed to do anything about it. So they should be held responsible. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that they still do World's Fairs, by the way? The World's Fair? It still happens. Really? Yeah, it still happens. I haven't heard of one for years. Well, I'm here to tell you that yesterday they announced the finalist for the 2023 World's Fair. and they <laughs> Which is going to be held where? Well, I'm going to tell you. They oh. have There are three cities that are finalists for the running here. Uh, Buenos Aires, Lodz in Poland, uh-huh. and right here in America, the Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Oh. It's, it's going to happen in one of those three cities for the 2023. 23 World's Fair. That is, of course, assuming we are still existing as a as a planet in 2023. So where are the the next couple of World Fairs? Do we know? Like Between when's now and then? 2018, Jamie, that is a great question. You don't have that available. <laughs> that is a, a question that I do not have an answer for, but it is a good question. I can hop, I can hop on Wikipedia. We'll do, we'll do some fact-checking But later. are they held every, like the Olympics, every four years or what? Oh, shit, every... I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Just, come on. Still a fun fact. Yeah. He reports, you decide. You decide. <laughs> no, but the problem is he doesn't report. Go Google it. What do you want from me? <laughs> on your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Thursday, June 15? Uh, here we are. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, everybody. Great to see you, or welcome back. If you've been with us, we're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. 
on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. Hello, hello. And WCPT out in Chicago. And on this day, lots of news. Again, it's another big news day. Uh, Congress still reeling from the shock of yesterday morning, about 24 hours ago, when a gunman opening fire on Republican members of Congress practicing for tonight's congressional baseball game. Congressman Steve Scalise from Louisiana, still in very serious condition, very critical condition, uh, at a local Washington hospital. It had reported earlier in the day that he was in stable condition. Not so. Doctors are saying it's very serious. He's been operated on and will have to be operated on again. Uh, our certainly thoughts and prayers with him. Uh, and uh, four other, two other, one staffer, one former staffer, two Capitol policemen also wounded in the attack. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reporting uh, that um, special counsel Robert Mueller has uh, extended his investigation into looking not just at whether or not some of the Trump campaign people colluded with the Russians during the election, but whether or not the president from the White House tried to obstruct justice by shutting down the FBI investigation. Uh, uh, so just two of the big stories today. And Kate Martell is here with us from The Hill, thehill.com, where you can also check my, uh, catch my column on Tuesdays in The Hill. But Kate's there every day with her 1230 report, which people can easily sign up for and get like I do online, right? How do they do that? Yep. If you go to thehill.com, there's a sign up button um, and you can get it every day at 1230 p.m. And it's kind of what's happened in the morning, catching you up in the afternoon and then some lighter stories. So yeah. during your lunch break, you can kind of mix up your day a little yeah. bit. A, a little sassy. And uh, <laughs> that's why that's why we like it. There was also, uh, Kate, as you know, we all uh, were told that um, don't worry about Donald Trump's tweeting because um, once Melania moves in, then she'll take away his phone. He'll be too busy, you know, having breakfast with her in the morning, whatever. And uh, so he's not going to be tweeting anymore. Wrong, right? <laughs> he hasn't stopped at all. And he is tweeting this morning just nine minutes ago. Donald Trump tweeting out. Oh, damn it, I just lost it. Donald uh, Trump tweeted. Let's, uh, let's go phone. first of all. He started. He started about an hour ago. Uh, quote, they made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof, yes. so now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. Nice. Yeah. That's how he ends the tweet. And then he just tweeted nine minutes yeah. ago, you are witnessing the single greatest, all caps, witch hunt in American political history led by some very bad and conflicted people. Very bad and conflicted people. All right. No. So, <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> Right. So this is a direct attack on Robert Mueller and indirectly, I guess, on Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein. I mean, right. The deputy attorney general and the attorney general. What's going on? Well, first of all, after during James Comey's testimony, I was expecting to see the president live tweeting. And when he didn't, that first gave me the oh, thought yeah. that, hey, maybe this has gotten through to him, that this is pretty serious. This could affect your administration directly and there could be serious outcomes of this. Obviously, we all know that didn't last. Melania and apparently, his, House and, apparently yeah. his attorneys told him to shut up. Don't. Don't mess it up by tweeting during this testimony, right? Yeah, and you'd think that that, like, and, and for him to understand that said something. But then we give it 24 hours. He's out tweeting. He's talking about the winch hunts. And it is affecting his own investigation. And to be turning on Robert Mueller, um, 
right now is not a good strategy for him because he kind of if you alienate everybody who's working you know either for against you and people who are involved it's not going to have a positive effect and it's going to look like you're incriminating yourself so again i'm just trying to piece this together his administration we have to remember the justice department is part of the trump administration right so robert Mueller was appointed special counsel by his justice department by Rod Rosenstein, who is the deputy attorney general, right? Uh, had to be with the um, okay of Jeff Sessions, who's the attorney general. And so here is Donald Trump attacking his own Justice Department for conducting a witch hunt against him. And it's not, he's always. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to, to, to fathom, right? You know, the most interesting um, explanation I've heard of all of this is that. Uh, Donald Trump businessman, yada, yada. But in the business world, there's this thought that people work harder if they're on edge because they think at all times they're going to be fired. Oh, oh. And yeah. start looking at his administration, all the speculation of Ryan's previous of Sean Spicer, everyone close to him, with the exception of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who could do no wrong. on the outs. Yes. And it is sort of this business mentality that people will work harder if they think they're being fired at all times. And it just keeps them on edge a little bit. I don't think that's a smart way of going about it, but I think that kind of does explain a little bit of what's going on here. It's as good an explanation. Yeah, it's sure. as good an explanation as anybody else I've heard, but I'm just not sure it works, right? Yep, very separate question. <laughs> uh, right, and I'm not sure how you can actually get anything done if he just keeps firing people, right? Or or this open warfare with the Justice Department. Uh, I, look again. It's been a long time since my phone rang, and I'm at, like, I had lunch with uh, Tucker Carlson, who's a good friend of mine, right? We, we don't talk politics. So <laughs> who, who told me, Trump calls him like every day, you know, every other day, certainly. Now, my phone hasn't been ringing off the hook with Donald <laughs> Trump. But if you call me, I would tell him, just shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> because this investigation may not find anything, or if it, it will, or it won't, or something. But But just... Go on with your job. Go on with your business. Just ignore the whole damn thing. That's your best approach. Instead, he cannot help himself. And the more he attacks Robert Mueller, the worse it's going to get. And especially with Comey out, that Mueller's investigation is going to go on for people speculate months. I think it's more like years before the investigation will wrap up. That if he lets it just go on the wayside and... Like you said, go about with regular business, let things go on, and that won't be what we're talking about necessarily. But if he's tweeting it, you know, that's what's ramping up this conversation. He tweeted this morning about a witch hunt. Obviously, that's what the news cycle is going to talk about, and I don't think that's very well in his best interest. No collusion, no obstruction. He's a leaker. There you go. He's a leaker. This is best defense. By the way, this is uh, kind of interesting. A new AP uh, poll just came out this morning. That shows that 68% of Americans, 68% of Americans, are at least moderately concerned about the possibility that Trump or his campaign associates had inappropriate ties to Russia. 68%. Only 31% say that they are not concerned at all. That's not good. I wonder if this witch hunt means that he, maybe Chris Ruddy was right. Maybe he is seriously considering firing Robert Mueller. There's a chance that that's what he's going through on his in his mind, and that what he's thinking is that, look, I want to get this guy out. And what you got to remember too is that Robert Mueller was a fairly standard pick. He's a standard 
Republican establishment guy. Yeah. That yeah. he wasn't the type of person that he was on, not on the outs with Trump, but he should be somebody that Republicans and Donald Trump should be putting their trust in. And if we're seeing already, he's this hasn't been very long since Robert Puller was appointed, that he's already on the outs and has already been considered fired. Um, definitely, like you were saying, with this new poll, that's why people have this perception that there is some type of inappropriate ties between Russia and the Trump campaign. That is all the headlines are. And that's he's furthering the storyline and furthering the news cycle even more than, you know, his surrogates should be even doing. He's uh, doing it for them. Well, we keep raising the question of what would it take, <laughs> you know, to finally, when Trump would finally go too far, we we raised that question all during the primary, and it turned out that there was nothing he could do or say <laughs> that that was over the line. Now as president, we've been asking that question so far. A lot of crazy stuff still hasn't reached that point. I would have to think that firing Robert Mueller would be the breaking point, maybe not, but it would certainly be um, a, 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 like a nuclear bomb hitting Washington, <laughs> D.C., yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, during the Comey hearing— And hard for—I just think very hard for Republicans in Congress to defend at that point. At some point, they're just going to have to say, we cannot—we can no longer support this guy. I do think it was pretty telling that when those—when Christopher Reddy made that statement and the rumors sort of— started kind of to fly around uh, that all of the Republicans were like, this is a bad idea. They ran to the cameras yeah. to say, this is not a good idea because that would put them in a horrible position because Trump, I think just assumes that they would line up and defend him oh, yeah. over it. Yeah. Remember Paul Ryan said, yeah. no, 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 we ought to let Mueller do his job. Yeah. That's what the country needs is an independent investigation. Let it take place and to stop messing. But I also think it. they know that Trump is capable of doing it. And that's why they ran to the cameras to say that it's a bad idea. Because yeah. I think they could have seen that playing out. That's Plus, the easiest way to get through to him, too. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Go on cable news. Yeah. Plus, you're setting up a domino effect, as Richard Nixon discovered, because my understanding is legally the president has to get Rosenstein to fire to fire Mueller. So if Rosenstein refuses <laughs> the way Elliot Richardson did... Then it goes to the next person in line. If that person, you know, you go boom, 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 boom. How many of us have to fire before he finally gets somebody like um, Robert Bork who says, yes, Mr. President, I'll fire anybody you want. Yeah. And an interesting tidbit in that Washington Post report this morning is that let's say they do find criminal wrongdoing on the part of Donald Trump. Um, it would be inappropriate for the Justice Department to actually be the one to prosecute. I don't think they can. Yeah. And it would Congress end up being Congress. Have. Can you imagine what would break out if it was Congress looking at this in, at this evidence, trying to decide whether to prosecute? Or Humpty not? Dumpty, I'm telling you, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see what happens. Um, yesterday, um, we saw sort of the best of Congress, I think, and the worst of Congress. We talked about this, Kate, a little bit earlier. But um, Paul Ryan and um, Leader Pelosi, Speaker Ryan and Leader Pelosi, um, spoke together. Uh, to to the Congress, Paul Ryan, I believe, um, rising to the occasion, showing just the right tone. We are united. We are united in our shock. We are united in our anguish. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. Uh, and Leader Pelosi saying, uh, tonight, game goes on, and uh, we'll pull us all together. We'll go out on the field. We'll root for our team. We we'll want everyone to do his or her very best. 
and we will use this occasion as one that brings us together and not separates us further. So do you believe the game will go forward tonight? Oh, yeah. I think the game, this is kind of the part of the healing process, and I think it's kind of show, it's trying to show that we're not going to let crazy people like this ruin such events that's been going on. This has been going on since 1909. This is yeah. a tradition in Washington. It's one of the few things that keeps Congress united and bipartisan. Um, and it's an annual tradition that can't be broken. And that's why it's plan- at this point it's planned to go on, and I hope it continues to go on. And I hope that it is something unifying tonight. Yeah, I forget exactly what years, but the only the only interruption for the congressional baseball game um, was at one point too many of them were getting injured, you know, because they just weren't in shape, <laughs> and they, they just so said, into it. <laughs> "I just said we just got to stop this because these guys with broken legs and yeah. broken arms and everything." But then they, I don't know, they got some younger guys elected or something. I'm not sure oh, what funny. happened, but yeah. They start but, the recruiting process. <laughs> yeah, but 19, right, 1909, right. So the game goes forward, but do you think this this strong, and there were many people who spoke yesterday about, you know, th- this. Let's, let's be a lesson here that we really should respect each other and work together and tone down the rhetoric. Was that a one-day event, or do you think there's going to be any you know, I, I healing, hope, continued healing kind of. I hope that there's continued healing, but if past events have ever been any indication of it, when Gabby Giffords was shot, how long did the unification last? Not long. Um, that you hope that this lasts, but at this point, I think the most interesting tidbit I read from yesterday was from Kyle Cheney, a colleague, and he's at Politico, and he was out in Alexandria yesterday morning trying to talk to Alexandria residents. Now, he talked to two people. The first man he talked to found out he was part of the press and said, I will not talk to you. You're one of the leakers. You're part of what's making America bad right now, and just would not talk to him. And he thought that was first interesting tidbit. Now, the second woman, and he was at a coffee shop, and what she said was, oh, when I found out they were targeting a member of Congress, that relieved me because that means that it was, you know, the fact that it was targeted means that it wasn't a random act of violence and that makes me feel better. That is something that very telling of our society for somebody Mm -hmm. to say that so candidly. And in in a time when gun violence, there is a lot of gun violence going on and to see that people, ordinary people, are fine saying this. And, you know, remember back to the spring how volatile the town halls were when we're talking about the Obamacare repeal, when Congress members went home for Easter recess, that this anger really is boiling up. We're at a time with ultimate partisan politics. And these types of events shouldn't be encouraged in the sense that we should find some type of unity and Congress members should be trying to find ways to work down the aisles so that they can bring down some of this volatility. Yeah, that's frightening to hear those uh, those comments from uh yeah, as you say, from average citizens, right? Yeah, and just to, for them to just roll it, roll it off the tongue. You know, didn't have any hesitation to say, "Oh, it's fine." You know, it was targeting a member of Congress. It wasn't us. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it, it and where does that come from? You know, even even from all the evidence that we've seen. This uh, Hodgkinson, I mean, he was a businessman and he was politically active, okay, and he was a Democrat and he wasn't a big fan of Donald Trump's, okay. Yeah, but then to, to you know, to cross that line uh, and 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 do what he did yesterday, it's just, it's incomprehensible. 
But but it also begs the question to for me, as you mentioned, Gabby Giffords is shot. Congress did nothing about gun violence. You know, three people in at UPS at UPS facility in San Francisco yesterday shot and killed. Congress wouldn't even we wouldn't even know about that probably if Steve Scalise hadn't been shot yesterday too. But if they did nothing after Gabby Giffords, they're going to do nothing after Steve Scalise. I mean, this gun violence is just. The, the the attitude is that it's just part of America. Well, damn it, it's not, and it shouldn't be, in my judgment. I was going to say, you know, I, we played a clip earlier of Rand Paul talking about the scene uh, at the baseball practice field with you know, yeah, you saw I, bullets sort of skipping off of the ground and how horrifying that scene was. And I believe that. That, that sounds terrifying. Oh, the, imagine. At, at the same time, you have to imagine that a lot of our children in this right. nation have seen the same exact thing. right. right. If not worse. Right. In yeah. fact, definitely worse. So Streets of Chicago every night. Don't mean to pick on Chicago, but, but uh, and it, you know, it's a serious, serious problem out there. And you're yeah. right. Our kids, our grandkids go to school. Yeah. That's, that's the threat that they face every single day. Yeah. And I mean, so, millions of Americans have faced that type of terror. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and now we're all shocked because it was a Republican member of Congress. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. The life of every one of those people who was killed in San Francisco at the UPS facility, that life was worth just as much and just as valuable as Steve Scalise's life, who did not lose his life, fortunately. But, um, but I mean, you know, we can't kind of exaggerate. Oh, my God, if it happens to a member of Congress, then we suddenly – but they're not going to do anything anyhow. Peter, I, I want to hear again. So first, we'll play Rand Paul. This is his description of the scene yesterday, which is frightening. But then I'd like you to find again – what Rand Paul said just a few years ago. Here's Rand Paul yesterday. So he goes down, but is moving and is crawling towards the outfield. Um, there was uh, two staff members on this other side of this 10-foot fence, and I'm behind a tree now, right next to the uh, batting cage, and I'm seeing shots skipping off of the uh, warning track right around these two. Yeah, I mean, the shots, he was just hiring randomly, you know, uh, across, he was behind the, uh, the dugout on the third, uh, the third base side, and firing out out on the field, across the field toward the other dugout. They said they could hear the the uh, bullets striking the uh, chain link fence too on the other side, and they were amazed at how far he was able to reach with that AK-47. He had a pistol, but the but the the, the assault rifle was reaching. So here's Rand Paul, who's now in the line of fire, right? A couple of years, whenever, whenever this it was. This was less than a year ago, June less. 23rd of 2016. Uh, why do we have a Second Amendment? It's not to shoot deer. It is to shoot at the government when it becomes tyrannical. Whoa. Now, I think that's a very, very bad statement to make. Um, but, like. That's not. That's not why we have a Second Amendment. No, of course not. Way. No. Yeah. But if you're going to run around and feed into this idea that Democrats are throwing violent rhetoric around, that is a blatant call for supporters to take up arms against the government. If if you, which is what this guy thought he was doing. If if you want to point to the kind of political rhetoric that would encourage people, right, to act out their political beliefs in a violent manner, that I would say would be. All right, here it is. Case number one. Example number one, Rand Paul himself. Yeah. Uh, it's messed do, up, man. Yeah. Do you think I have any second thoughts about that? Hmm. What else is going on on the Hill? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still talking about Obamacare appeal. 
Um, I think insurers are going to be hitting a big deadline on June 21st um, when a lot of insurers are going to have to decide, are they going to do rate hikes or will they pull out in the insurance market? Now, the deadline we're hearing is June 21st. It's actually more like August before they can finalize it. So I think as we're looking at the Obamacare repeal and replace, we're also looking at what are insurers going to do um, as far as taking care of, are they going to do a short-term Obamacare fix to try to help some of the lower income members of the insurance companies um, to help the insurance companies, you know, with the blow a little bit of the costs? Or are they going to, you know, I think people have talked about whether President Trump would get involved. Are they going to do a short term fix and try to fix it? Or are they going to let it play out the way it would play out naturally and wait for the Obamacare repeal to go through? Well, we know the problem uh, with health care legislation in the Senate is that the Democrats are such obstructionists. <laughs> Actually, the Republicans aren't, haven't even talked. All of this is happening under the radar first, isn't it? Right. Yep. Have we seen the bill? We have not seen the bill, and we're not planning to see any markups. We're not going to really see hearings. Have there been any gonna, hearings? Nope. It's going to go straight to the floor. And so that's a lot of the back dealings, the backroom dealings, I think, what does anger a lot of America, that a lot of these things aren't out in the forefront. Um, and I think that's kind of tied to all of the issues in politics. We can look at the executive branch with what's going on in the administration behind the scenes. That's the issue right now. If we're looking at Obamacare repeal, that's what we're looking at that all of these issues need to be brought to the forefront, and that's why these hearings need to be public and regular. Well, particularly remember that regular is the word that uh, Mitch McConnell used. We're going to have regular order, right? Regular order <laughs> means you have hearings, you give people a chance to testify, you give others a chance to offer amendments or whatever. That's what the process is, right? That, that they've totally um, abandoned that whole concept with this. It's all been very, it's very secret. It's going to, no hearings. You're right, right to the floor. Uh, and so far, Democrats have not even been part of this process. And Republicans are planning on a bill through reconciliation that won't require any Democratic votes. So this whole idea that Democrats are obstructionists here is baseless, correct? Yes, exactly. And the way that Democrats or the way that Republicans were criticizing Democrats when they first passed it, then we're, now we're just seeing a reverse in politics, that it's not necessarily furthering the conversation. It's just saying, hey, what is our exact power? That regular order may sound fine, and that may have sounded great to say as soon as they won and had all of the branches. But now they're looking at the deadline saying that, hey, as soon as 2018 hits, we're going to be in campaign mode and we may not keep the majorities that we are holding right now. So we got to push it through. And that's why we're not seeing regular order. That's why we're seeing things behind the scenes. And it's going to anger people. And I think that we probably will see, you know, a reverse effect when the 2018 midterms come. So they, they take a, a July 4th break here pretty soon, right? Next week or the week from... Um, it's still, I think, two weeks away. <laughs> two weeks away, right. Do they plan to get the health care? Is there a plan to try to push health care out of the Senate before then? That's what they're hoping, and that's kind of what we've been hearing. Um, but I think the chances of that actually happening are fairly slim to none. <laughs> but the idea, yeah, it's important that people know this is this is taking place because, you know, we've had Ben Wickler in from MoveOn.org and some others who have said, you know, this has got to be the focus. People have to, I mean, the last thing the Republicans want in the Senate is for the American people to know this is going on and to get that they don't want to hear from anybody, right? They just want to be able to do this secretly and pass it before anybody knows what's going on. But Americans have to wake up and know this is happening uh, and and um, call, call their senators and raise hell right now and say, you know, um, 
we want to know what's going on. We want to know what's in this bill and don't vote for it if it's going to boom, 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 boom. And the town halls over the summer, over these breaks, over August break and the 4th of July break, I think we're going to. And finally, how's that big um, tax reform bill doing? (laughs) The tax reform what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what now? (laughs) Yeah, the chances of that happening, I think, are pretty slim right now. Um, I think the Republicans, when they thought they could pass through Obamacare repeal pretty quickly, that was something back in the table. But at this point, they're focusing on Obamacare. I think the chances of tax reform happening are are kind of least of their worries for now, at least anyway. Uh, and there's no bill anyhow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Little details. <laughs> the one that, yeah, the one that Donald Trump said. It's moving along faster than we thought. Our Republicans tax there it is. bill is moving along in Congress. Yeah. And I believe it's doing very well. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Well, he believes it. So. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, then it's true. All I know. Yep. It's a witch hunt like we've never seen before. <laughs> there it is. As he tweeted the, in the last half hour. God, I don't know what's happened. Hey, Kate, it's great to see you. Again, go to thehill.com and sign up for the 1230 report uh, every day. And we'll come back. Climate change. Where do we go from here? Michael Bruhn joining us from the Sierra Club, executive director here on the Thursday edition of the Bill Press Show. By contrast, Republicans in Congress, uh, as hard as they're working, you have the Democrats on the other side who truly have become obstructionists. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, June 15, it is the Bill Press Show. Welcome back, everybody. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio in Capitol Hill. And we're brought to you today with the assistance of the American Federation of Teachers, the Teachers of America, during the Lord's work in the classroom every single day under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute them and thank them for their sponsorship of the website, AFT.org. Um, they're trying to uh, keep public ed- public schools alive, despite uh, what D- D- Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump are trying to do with them. There's so much going on that things happen, and then we kind of forget about them. But we don't want to forget about what happened just about two weeks ago with Donald Trump. I was there in the Rose Garden when he made the big announcement that he was pulling the United States out of the Paris Accords. Where do we go from here, uh, and can we survive that, uh, and how do we fight back? Michael Bruhn is the executive director of the Great Sierra Club, uh, I've been a member of for many, many, many years. Uh, joining us in studio. Hello, Michael. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. All right. Nice to see you. You too. Sierra Club, stronger than ever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Uh, um, used to work very closely with a great guy named John Zerold, who was the lobbyist for the Sierra Club in Sacramento. When oh, right. I was the lobbyist for the Envi- uh, the Planning and Conservation League. Excellent. So we used to tag team on the members of Congress and. Uh, uh, and we had a little success there. We, well, in Sacramento now, it's one of our best places, obviously, because we're getting a lot done. Yeah. Jerry Brown's really pushing hard. State legislatures, uh, very aggressive in putting forward some pretty powerful legislation, actually. Right. 
So one question I have about Paris is it takes three years to get out, uh-huh. right? And then a year, like, to do the paperwork or something. So, like, we're, we're as bad as it was for Donald Trump to pull the United States out. Will it actually happen, or could he be out of the White House before it actually kicks in? One can hope. <laughs> uh, yes. So it is true that it does take several years to pull out. That's part of the accord. They they wanted right. to make sure that countries who made commitments, made enduring commitments, that they weren't just uh, trying to get some uh, short-term political wins, but that if you want to fight climate change, if you want to transition to clean energy, your commitment has to be strong. It has to be solid. And it's got to be durable. So every country in the world committed to this agreement, except for Syria and Nicaragua. Nicaragua decided not to sign because they wanted it to be stronger. Uh, And now the United States will be pulling out. But it will take years to do. And in the meantime, we're going to be working to make sure we make progress uh, everywhere else but within the federal government. But at the federal level, it's it's just rolling everything back, correct? Is that uh, for the Paris you see? for the Paris Agreement, yes. What we'll see right now is what we've seen since uh, the president made his announcement in the Rose Garden is uh, Scott Pruitt went to Italy, stayed for just two hours, and skipped the entire meat of the discussion about how to decarbonize our economy and advance clean energy. Uh, president Trump and other uh, folks in his administration have thumbed their nose at the international community. So what we need to be doing is fighting this administration every chance we get. Whenever they want to roll back regulation, we have to have state and local governments, business leaders, scientists, teachers, the American public rise up to make sure that uh, we show that there's strong support for staying in. Now, you mentioned Jerry Brown, and there are others, I think Andrew Cuomo and some others who have said, uh, you know, well, you go your own way, Donald Trump, but, but we're not backing down. I mean, Jerry Brown, one of the first things he did— um, and full disclosure, I worked for Jerry Brown for four years as his policy director the first time around. Um, uh, well, this wasn't an issue back then, but but Jerry, the first, one of the first things he did, he's got on a plane and went to Beijing yeah. and met with President Xi and basically said, yeah. "We're you know we're we're the new leader here." Yeah. Look. So, so what can states do? Can they do enough to offset what Donald Trump did? Tons. States, cities, companies can do an enormous amount. Uh, well, let me just take a quick step back to say, right. under no circumstances is this a good thing. Uh, the, the president pulling out, the federal government saying that we're not going to honor our country's commitments, not joining with South Korea and China and India and Brazil right. and all these countries who finally agreed to work together on something and, to, and made a meaningful commitment. So the fact that Trump pulled out is awful. However, it doesn't mean that the fight is over. It doesn't mean that we actually can't succeed. We're just going to have to do a whole lot more work. If Trump is going to step back, we have to step forward. So um, the day that the president made his announcement, that very day, three coal plants closed in the U.S. and are being replaced by clean energy, uh, including the two biggest ones in New Jersey. The next day, three more coal plants were announced for retirement, and they'll be replaced almost entirely with clean energy. And in the if I could just and in the Rose Garden, because I was there that day, he bragged about coal jobs coming back and opening a new coal mine. Yeah, uh, well, I, well, to be fair, there was a new coal mine that was opened in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago. However, <laughs> what we're seeing is a rapid transition across that yeah, industry yeah. and a and a significant investment in clean renewable energy, like particularly solar and wind. 
we have the mayor of South Carolina, a pretty red state, committing to 100% clean energy. Bill Peduto, the mayor of Pittsburgh, committed the next day to take Pittsburgh all the way to 100% clean energy. Mayor of Orlando, Florida, Republican mayors in Texas and California and Salt Lake City, uh, all have committed to go to 100% clean energy. So what we are seeing is big commitments by states, as you mentioned, New York, California, 10 other states, by dozens of cities, all to make uh, st strong commitments to move away from fossil fuels, go to clean energy. And when you add all of that up, all of these commitments, we can find a way to continue to meet the Paris Agreement commitments, hmm. even if uh, Trump is asleep on the job. I uh, just want to mention there are several mayors uh, yesterday who came out uh, and uh, joined Joined forces, the mayor of uh, Miami Beach, Salt Lake City, you mentioned, uh, San Diego and Columbia, South Carolina, co-chairs of Mayors for 100% Clean Energy. Right? Yeah. So there's a conference of mayors that's happening in a couple weeks down in Miami, uh, in Miami mm -hmm. Beach, where they will be more than a thousand mayors will be voting on a commitment to take their cities to 100% clean energy. The reason why there's so much momentum almost every place in the world except uh, the White House is that clean energy is cheaper than fossil fuels. Not only will we save hundreds of thousands of lives by moving away from coal and oil and gas and nuclear power, but we'll save money. We'll create more jobs and we'll have a shot at arresting the worst effects of climate change. So what, what this means for people listening to this, uh, to this program, people who are voters, people who care about clean energy and climate change, is that we just have to work a little harder. We've got to get every the town that we live in, the state that we live in, the companies that we work for or buy from or invest in. We've got to push all of those entities to make big commitments to move away from fossil fuels, to meet the Paris Climate Accords and invest in clean energy. So when you talk about clean energy, though, clean yeah. energy does include natural gas, correct, which is still fossil fuel. No. No. No, of course not. I mean, it, that may be the definition of okay. uh, some fossil fuel executive who really hopes yeah. he can hoodwink the public. But, so clean you, energy actually means clean. It means clean renewable energy, which includes solar and includes wind, maybe a little bit of geothermal energy. Okay. tidal energy here and there. Yeah. But it's mostly solar and wind and right. using energy much more efficiently. Well, that's what I want to get to. If you're talking clean energy, you're really talking away from fossil fuels, including away from natural gas. Yeah, look, I run the Sierra Club, so I'm not going to say clean energy is a bunch of dirty gunk coming up from the earth. What I'm talking about is yeah. moving our whole economy towards power that doesn't pollute. We can actually do this. We can build our economy with energy that doesn't poison our water, that doesn't poison the air that we breathe, that doesn't cause oil spills or, or flaring and fracking uh, on our public lands. We can make a huge amount of progress by investing in energy that is now cheaper than the problem. And okay. you, you hit on something there about the, I mean, Donald Trump, who claims to be a businessman, a wonderful, smart businessman, he ran his whole campaign on jobs, 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 America first. You look at a lot of the economies out there that are having real problems. One economy that's not hurting at all is the green economy. I mean, there is endless jobs there. And places like China see that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that yeah. we're missing such an opportunity, not to be too craven about the, the opportunity there. But, like, there are jobs there. We could create an economy there. 
Yeah, first, I, I, I always have to challenge the myth. Donald Trump is not a good businessman. He ran <laughs> almost every business yeah. into the ground. That's true. Trump Steaks, Trump Wine, Trump University, casinos in New Jersey where All I grew disasters. up. So, so again, not that you were saying that, but let's uh, not uh, A few casinos that, that. <laughs> uh, that went uh, belly up. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What, what Donald Trump always has been and continues to be is good at building his own personal brand and getting his name out there. Right. So, so there's that. Uh, but yes, clean. so to be really specific, clean energy, solar and wind are growing at 12 times the rate of the rest of the U.S. economy. So if you want jobs, if you want to... Uh, make America great. If you want to build our economic resiliency, you would invest in clean energy. You would go all in on clean energy because that's how our economy is going to evolve in this century. It's almost without a doubt the global economy is going to move away from fossil fuels because they're dirty. They're expensive. Uh, they, they harm our health and move towards clean energy, which has so many more benefits. But the U.S. is increasingly falling further and further behind every time this president puts forward another environmental policy. Okay. I want to take the pledge. I want to share. I've, I've, I've taken the pledge. All right. In 1980, uh, Carol and I built a passive solar all house right. in Marin County that we still live in. Excellent. Uh, and a block from here, our house in Washington, the rooftop color covered with solar panels. We get a check from Pepco yeah. for all the yeah. extra power that yeah. we produce yeah. and don't can't use ourselves. Yeah. So it does work. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to tell you, but so, but and I'm appalled that there aren't more people that, that, that use that have solar panels on their roofs. You see more and more today. But I guess what I'm getting to is so if we're going to do 100 percent clean energy. Where, what percentage are we now? we got a long way to go, don't we? we? We do have a long way to go. So right now, in the month of March, which is the last month for which we have data, uh, the United States for the first time passed 10% of our electricity coming from solar and wind combined. You have, we have a bunch of states like Iowa, South Dakota, Texas, California, Colorado, Minnesota, that month by month typically are getting anywhere from 15, 20, sometimes 30, sometimes up to 40 or 50 percent of their electricity mm -hmm. coming from wind. Yeah. The key thing to note is that that number is going up mm -hmm. dramatically, whereas the use of coal in particular, right. um, but other fossil fuels is beginning to go down. And is it um, solar or wind or both? Which is more likely to, you know, catch up? To grow? I, I think we're, we'll see both. Bo both. both both uh, sources of energy. Wind are, farms offshore or? There's a little both. bit. There's a tiny a tiny bit here in the United States. There's uh, off Block Island in right. Rhode Island. Uh, there's one small wind farm. I was meeting with executives earlier this week. There are a lot of projects that are in development off New Jersey, Delaware, Massachusetts. There's some talk about offshore wind on the West Coast as well, off California. A few leases there have been sold down in the Gulf as well. Most of the wind, though, is onshore. It's on land, uh, and it's growing dramatically. It's coming. The, the price of wind is far cheaper right now than uh, certainly coal, uh, definitely nuclear power, but in, increasingly uh, gas at the same time. So what that means is that we can aggressively and reasonably look at every coal plant in this country, every gas plant in this country, and figure out, all right, how do we make this transition? How do we figure out a way to move away from fossil fuels and go really big on clean energy and 
make sure that we're taking care of the people, the communities that are dependent on coal and natural gas. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure we make this transition but make it work for everybody? The miners whose pensions are being uh, just raided by the coal industry, how do we make sure that they're taken care of? We've relied on those miners for decades, for generations. How do we make sure that as our country moves to cleaner energy, those communities are part of the solution and part of the the, the clean energy future. Uh, now, sitting in the ro- it was hard for me to sit in the Rose Garden that day, by the way, without standing up and saying, you know, you're full of you know what. Uh, but the president rolled out this number. It's going to cost six million jobs. Yeah. We lose six million jobs if we stay in Paris. Yeah, uh, that. I don't know how to other say it. That's a lie, pure and simple. Uh, even the study that that was based on was flawed. Uh, he also studied, cited a study from uh, MIT that the, the authors of the report said that it was mis- misrepresented. Um, what, uh, there, there's because no other... the jobs, I mean, the coal jobs are, not, are just not coming back, right? There are more people working at Arby's today than work in coal mining. That that is that That's is a fact. that is yeah. that is legitimate. There are more florists working today than there are people who work in the coal mining industry. Which is not to devalue the yeah. jobs no, in those industries. Yeah. There are yeah. good people who are helping to keep our lights on in this country. We ought to think really carefully about what happens to those communities. Every town that has a coal plant whose revenue is uh, in part derived from that coal plant. The the revenue from that coal plant, the taxes that are paid, often go to schools. They pay for mm-hmm. art. They pay for yeah. sports for our kids. How do we make sure that that community is made whole by a transition away from coal? We can handle that. That's not something sure. that's beyond our capacity as a country, but we're not going to solve problems if we don't even acknowledge that they exist. Right. Now, the other uh, – and, and and the jobs today are in the clean energy field. That's right. Right? That's the right. growing number of jobs. The growing number of jobs. Right now, you'll, you'll see more jobs associated with clean energy in every state in this country compared to fossil fuels. Hmm. So even in the in the heart of Appalachia, even in the down in the Gulf where we're, we're of course, uh, sourcing and, and processing so, and refining so much uh, oil and gas – there are more jobs associated with clean energy, and that's only going to grow. The other thing that I found uh, certainly not close to the truth, but I love your comment on, is that the president kept making this point that by staying in Paris penalized us. Like he said, if we can't build any coal plants, but it allows China and India to build all the new coal plants they want. And, you know, we're, so we're being you know, handicapped or penalized. Meanwhile, China and India can pollute all they want. What's really going on in China and India today? <laughs> there are more than 100 coal plants in both China and India that uh, over the last year were under construction and are now uh, rusting hulks of uh, abandoned work sites because those coal plants are not being built. What, what is happening in China is they have already peaked their, their carbon emissions, which is something that they didn't commit to do until 2030. And they are going all in on clean energy because it's cheaper, because it creates more jobs, because it cleans the air, cleans the water, and it, and it helps their local economy. India is doing the same thing. So the in, in India, so they're going to clean our clock, aren't they? In terms of yes, clean energy well, China, jobs, China already is, and and India made a commitment that every car that's produced by the end of the next decade will be fully electric, not internal combustion, not mm-hmm. burning more gas, 
but will be based on fully electric power as they transition their electric sector towards solar energy. The next decade? By, by 2030. By, the 20, by 2030, yeah. every car in India. That's their goal. I, I mean, that's, that's incredible. It that, is. That, it is. So it's good news. It's just and not we're a, making it's similar. Not a tiny country, right? No, it's the world's <laughs> largest democracy. Uh, so, so the challenge right now is you have the president who's saying things that are untrue, who's burying his head in the sand while the seas are rising, which is you know, a bad idea. Um, take trying to take us in in the opposite direction of where the U.S. economy and the global community want to go. And so what do you do when that happens? Our view is that on the one hand, we have to fight. Every time the president tries to roll back basic environmental protections against mercury and soot and smog, we'll challenge them in the courts, we'll challenge them in the marketplace, in the streets. Um, And on the other hand, we have to fight by continuing to win. So working with Jerry Brown in California, Andrew Cuomo in New York, hundreds of mayors across the country, to continue to advance clean energy, to replace dirty diesel buses with electric buses, to make sure that we're not building new fossil fuel infrastructure, but we're investing instead in a clean energy economy. That's what we're doing, is we're fighting on one hand and we're winning on the other. What can people do? Get involved. We need help. Uh, we need, if, if you are, uh, if you care about the earth, if you care about our economy and want to help make sure that we're promoting economic justice along with environmental protection, come in and volunteer. Sierra Club has a group in every state, uh, a group almost in every city. There's lots of other great environmental groups as well, and we need your help. There's an opportunity right now to be defiant against this president and continue to uh, make progress on the environment. SierraClub.org is where people go, right? You got it. Yeah, SierraClub.org. And um, and in, in terms of people's own lifestyles or I mean, yeah. what do they call that lowering your carbon footprint yeah that's yeah, a term that's being used well so follow the example set by bill press decades ago <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> yeah. build your solar house right yeah not everybody can do that but no. there are ways in terms of the cars you buy yeah right um, yeah look you know i think it's your important. use of public transit or you know whatever yeah we yeah. should I, I it's a good thing i think to align uh how you consume your money with your values, right? So uh, if you own a home and have an opportunity to put solar panels on the roof, you'll probably save money by doing so. So you should. Plus, you'll help save the planet. No, if you're you going to really, buy a car... I just having done that, I, I, it's just incredible. You know, you call one of these solar companies, they'll come out. Yeah. In our case, they had done, uh, you know, um, photos of the house. They knew the whole thing. They, they knew our they the, checked it by the history, now. the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And they can come and tell you exactly... Yeah. What it's going to cost to put them on, what you're going to save, yeah. how long it's going to take you to pay this, and then you'll be making money. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so, so it's calculated, right? Yeah. We okay. did the same thing, and, and it's a very similar situation. They they study your roof and how, how yeah. it faces the sun by satellite. They can see how much electricity you've been using for how long, what the price will be, and then they'll say on a monthly basis – this is what you'll be paying compared to what you're currently paying. Right. Same thing is true with an electric car, right? If you if you don't want to mm-hmm. sit in a gas line, if you don't want to pay huge amounts of money at the tank, if you don't want to run the risk of paying three, four, five bucks a gallon a few years down the road, you can buy an electric car. If you if you if you own a car, you can buy an electric vehicle. Um, and I think that what we, what we're seeing 
what we're seeing at the Sierra Club is we our members are aligning their dollars with their values more than ever. So uh, you have a credit card. Why should your money go to banks that are financing the Dakota Access Pipeline or financing China Finance Keystone? Mm-hmm. Align, put your money with banks, your credit card, your debit card, checking account with banks that actually that are aligned with your values. They're investing in social justice. They're investing in racial justice. They care about the environment. Um, we're finding our members are much more active in thinking about as investors or as divestors, as consumers, as voters, what can they do? Not only shouting at the television, but figuring right. out a lot of ways to make a difference. Uh, in terms of public opinion, it's pretty one-sided among about the American people in terms of the reality of climate change and the need yeah. to do something about it? Yeah, so uh, Yale University did this study about a month ago about the Paris Climate Agreement specifically. And what they found is that 70% of the public want to see, wanted to see the United States stay in the Paris Climate Agreement. 70%. 7-0, including a majority of de- supermajority of Democrats and a majority of Republicans and a majority of independents, and a majority of people under 25, and a majority of people from 25 to 55, and a majority of people over 55, and a majority of people in every state, in all 50 states. A majority, and and a majority of Trump voters wanted to see. Oh, God, really? So, so again, you have... Amazing. Yeah, you have, in the United, around the world, there were 197 countries who signed the Paris Climate Agreement, mm-hmm. Now there are three countries in the world who are not out. a part of it, Syria and the United States and then Nicaragua because they wanted to make it stronger. So Trump and Assad are linked together. There you go. Go figure, right? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, what is the polit- – even not that I think there are more important considerations here than the politics of it, but what's the political advantage of being such an isolation? I want to ask you about, quickly about one other matter. Um, so the new interior secretary, the first thing he wants to do is to – Downgrade a the newest of our national monuments, Bears. What's a Bears Ears? So, yeah, Bears Ears is a, a an amazing place. Uh, thousands of ancient artifacts, uh, about one point three five million acres in southeastern Utah, uh, in between Canyonlands and Arches National Park. Beautiful place. I've taken my kids there. Uh, it was protected by the president uh, as a national mon- designated yeah. as a national monument last year. And so, yes, one of the first things that uh, Secretary Zinke has done uh, with President Trump has put 27 national monuments, particularly Bears Ears, on notice uh, and under review to either abolish the mon- try to abolish the monuments altogether or to restrict them in size uh, or, or, or we'll see what they actually do. It'll be against the law. Uh, the Antiquities Act that created national mm-hmm. monuments mm-hmm. is pretty clear. It's pretty simple. And it's been used by almost every president, Republican and Democrat, to protect the most amazing places in this country. We'll fight and we're going to win. No, this is something that, that certainly we saw George W. Bush use his power to do yeah. this. And then yeah. uh, and, and Reagan and, and Ford. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and uh, every president for the last almost every president for the last century has said, yeah, there's some pretty amazing places in this country. We ought to protect them, and that's what um, Trump is trying to yeah, do. Starting with Teddy Roosevelt, that's been the that's been the direction, and Donald Trump just going in the opposite direction. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for yeah. your, what you're doing. Thank you know, you. great, great work. And uh, I just encourage you to um, 
follow the great leadership of uh, John Muir and David Brower and Michael Broom and uh, get involved in the Sierra Club at sierraclub.org. Nothing more important. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, man. Hey, guys, have a great day. Enjoy it. Come back tomorrow. Peter filling in tomorrow. Bill Press Show.